0: Well, it's uh, good to be with you this morning. Um, Perhaps we're going to be spending more time on our own uh, at home or somewhere in the next few weeks, and perhaps one of the things you'd like to do is read. And uh, there's a book, The Triumph of Christianity, uh, that is uh, a very interesting book uh, written by a man called Rodney Stark. And he really traces how the, the early Christian churches grew in the face of persecution. It's a very encouraging book to read. But one of the things he says, which uh, was a reason why the church grew, was uh, because in times of plague, the Christians acted differently from their pagan neighbours. When people were ill, and of course in those days there weren't the medical facilities that we have today, and therefore many, many people died, by and large the pagans ran away and they withdrew. And they they really didn't want anything to do with those who were sick. But by contrast, the Christians went to help them. Uh, Not just fellow Christians, but but people in general. And it was something which non-Christians saw. And they thought, why is it that these people do that? Some of the Christians died in the plagues because they cared for the non-Christians. But uh, it was something that struck home to non-Christians to see something of the difference it makes for us when we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. It's a thick book, so it'll last you a few weeks, (laughs) if you're a slow reader, but uh, The Triumph of Christianity by Rodney Stark. You can get it on Kindle. If you uh, can't get the physical copy, I think you can get it on Amazon as well. Well, let's turn now to John chapter 4 and uh, to the account of Jesus talking with the woman of Samaria. We don't know her name Uh, But Jesus says later, as he's talking to his disciples, uh, he says in verse 35, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He tells his disciples that they haven't got their eyes open. They can't see what is happening. One of the most blessed times in the whole of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, But Jesus was a man with his eyes open. He saw people. I want us to think this morning, to what extent do we see other people in the way that the Lord Jesus Christ sees them? As we move about in our normal daily lives and in a special time like this, do we see those around us? Do we see them enough to understand them and to understand something of their need because there's a danger that like the disciples at this time that we allow good things to take the place of best things. Uh, Jesus and the disciples were on a journey traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. It was hot and uh, it was a difficult journey and uh, they needed something to eat. They'd stopped in the middle of the day and Jesus sat by the well. He was tired and uh, the disciples went into the nearby town to find something to eat. And uh, when the disciples got back, um, they really were quite irritated to find Jesus talking with a woman. But they didn't say to her, what do you want? And they didn't say to him, why are you talking with her? And she left. And uh, she went back into the town. And then the disciples said, Rabbi. Eat something. You know, they brought lunch. They may not have had an easy time buying it in a Samaritan town because they were Jews, but now it was time to eat. And for them that was the most important thing to do. Let's have lunch. And uh, Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they said, Could someone have brought him food? See, it's food. That's a big thing for them. But he's not talking about food. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus uh, has been re energized by his conversation with the woman. And the reason is because he's doing what he came into the world to do. And uh, he wants to do that and to finish the work. And he says, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? And he says, Open your eyes. And look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may be glad together. In farming you sow and then several months later you reap. And uh, Jesus is saying in spiritual terms on this particular day in Samaria. Sowing and reaping was happening on the same day. And that's what he had been involved in. And the disciples could enter into his Labors, but they just weren't on the same page. They weren't really seeing people. They didn't really care about people. They were just thinking about themselves. And there were reasons for that. Um, They were traveling through Samaria. And there was this long dispute between Jews and Samaritans, a schism, they were separate. And they were probably saying, well, you know, good things happened in Judea. Good things are going to happen in Galilee, but... But nothing much happens in Samaria. They had low expectations. And it can be like that for us too. You are living in difficult times. There's a lot of opposition to the Christian faith. There's a lot of apathy and disinterest in spiritual things. And so we begin to think, well, nothing happens today. So why bother to take an interest in people? Why bother to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and to show his love for them? Because it, what's the point? Nothing happens. And so what we do is we allow our lives to be filled with other things, not sinful things necessarily, just ordinary things. Things to do with the family, things to do with our interests, holidays and so on. And somehow we've allowed the best things to be pushed aside. And we're sort of living a life which is parallel to the people around us. It never touches. And we have no impact and effect upon them. We don't see people as Jesus saw them. And uh, we need to see people and to, to understand their needs. There are people with all kinds of problems and difficulties. And often what we say is, I don't want to get involved. Why are you talking with her? You're talking with a Samaritan? And a Samaritan woman at that? We don't want to be bothered, they're saying, with her. But Jesus did and because he did her life was transformed and the lives of a great number of other samaritans were also changed it all happened because as jesus was sitting by the well and this woman came uh, to draw well water from the well he he saw her and he understood her need he was tired but this woman was coming to draw water and As soon as he saw her, he knew that she had a need. Because she was coming to draw water at midday, at 12 o'clock. It's mad dogs and Englishmen, I think Welshmen too, who go out in the midday sun. You know, when we see that, the sun in the sky, we want to rush out and spend time in it. But people who live in hot countries don't do that. They don't do things like drawing water in the middle of the day. So the moment he sees this woman coming to the well, before he talks about that uh, unique insight that he had into a situation, he knows that she's a a needy person. Uh, Perhaps she's been busy and hasn't had time to come until now, but carrying water is a a difficult job. It's a hard job. The women did it. And... uh, it's midday, it's very hot to be doing that work. And then she's also coming to Jacob's well. And it was a very old well, obviously, because Jacob had given it to his son Joseph. And it was not the most popular well in that particular town. Apparently, there were two wells which served that town. And the other well was newer and easier to draw water from. The woman talks about being difficult to draw water. So this woman is coming in the middle of the day to a well from which it is difficult to draw water and immediately because his eyes are open Jesus knows that this lady has got needs. And uh, he begins to engage her in conversation. You know sometimes you see people you see them walking along you see them passing by and you know they've got needs and and often our reaction when we sense that somebody's got a need is to, to avoid them. We don't want to get involved. We don't want to know what their problems are. We don't want our lives to change because of it. But Jesus engages with this woman. And uh, he starts the conversation in this way Uh, Will you give me a drink? Sometimes Christians say, I'm not sure how to start a conversation with a non Christian. Well, Jesus doesn't say to her, Are you saved? That's not where he begins. In fact, he doesn't even begin with the fact that he has something to give her, though he soon gets to that. But actually, she is going to draw water from the well and he is thirsty. Would it be possible for just to give a little bit of the water she's going to draw to him? And uh, she says to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Her first response is more or less to say, I can't believe you asked me that. Because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and you're a man and I'm a woman. And most of the time, you Jews don't bother with us until you want something from us. And uh, really what she's saying is, no water for you. I'm going to draw my water out and I'm going to go home and you're not going to get anything. There's a reference also not only to the breakdown in relationships between Jews and Samaritans, but the fact that Jews and Samaritans didn't drink from the same cups, from the same vessels. And that would have to happen if Jesus drank water. So she's saying, no, I'm not interested. Isn't that the kind of thing we're often afraid of? We're afraid if we start to speak to somebody, it won't go well, and their response will not be pleasant, and we don't want that. We, we, we're going to be rejected, and we don't want to be rejected. And sometimes... People may say to us, well, why are you interested in me? You're only interested in me because you want to get me to go to church or something of that sort. And sometimes, because it isn't our regular routine to take an interest in people, when we do take an interest, it may seem unusual, and people may, like this lady, be suspicious. But Jesus' response is a lovely response. He never responds to this lady in the same way that she responds to him. And he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's saying that somewhere in the history of the Samaritans, after the separation between the northern and southern kingdoms, they'd lost sight of God's wonderful promises. And uh, it had to do with the gift of God. It had to do with the promise of the coming Messiah. And he's saying, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You won't give me ordinary water, but if you ask me, I will give you living water. It's actually a wonderful summary of the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a need, a great need, a spiritual need, a need for forgiveness, a need to be reconciled to God. And uh, people say, well, how do I become a Christian? And Jesus is saying, well, we, we ask God. We ask the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to her, if you had asked me, I would have given you. It's as simple as that. If you ask, I will give in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. If you're not a Christian this morning, and you know your need, and you realize that you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have but to pray to him, to ask him, and he will hear you. And he will accept you, and he will forgive you, and he will give you peace with God and the gift of eternal life. And Jesus is saying to this woman who said, I won't give you a drink of ordinary water because of who I am. If you only ask me, I will give you living water. And the response of the woman is is not encouraging again. Sir, she says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So where are you going to get the water? That's the first problem. And then she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as it also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Now her misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying is not unusual. His disciples misunderstood him too when he was speaking about spiritual things. Maybe she is thinking that the living water is the fresh water that bubbles up at the bottom of the well. And obviously it's very deep, you can't get at that very easily. And uh, he's got nothing to draw with anyway. And then he seemed to be claiming that he's, he's great. He's speaking of himself as the gift of God. And she says, I suppose you think you're greater than Jacob, do you? One of the patriarchs. And he's the one who gave us the well. And the well was good enough for him. Uh, so if you're going to get water from somewhere else, where well, he was happy to drink from this well. And his family and his flocks and his herds. And we're happy to drink from it as well. We're happy with what we've got. And again, it's, it's a negative Response. You know, when that happens, you and I often think, well, sorry, wrong time, wrong person, let's just forget it. Because we don't like being rejected. But uh, Jesus doesn't deal with a woman like that. And uh, he keeps on talking to her. And he, he begins to speak now about the difficulty of her life, of the routine of her life the seeming meaninglessness of her life. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. We know that, don't we? From hot weather, you drink and then you want to drink again. Uh, when our children were young we used to go camping on holiday and uh, when we first were planning to go camping we had to get all the necessary equipment and we went to a camping shop and uh, began to buy a stove and a gas bottle and, and so on and then uh, the person in the shop said well of course you'll need a, a water container uh, we've got this one medium size and we've got this big one and I thought oh I think the big one. We were five in the family. The big one will probably be best. So we bought a big one. But I live to regret it because when we went to our first camping site, uh, we looked for a nice place to put the tent and we put the tent up and then we said, where's the water tap? And it was the other side of the field, up a hill. And so we we took this big container and we filled it up and it was like a ton weight. The boys were helping me and we sort of lugged it all the way down to the, the tent we put it in place, uh, and then you wanted to say to her, no, you don't have to wash every day. Uh, why are you cleaning your teeth again? You no, know, Because we'll have to go back and get more. You're not that thirsty, are you? Let's make it last if we can. And that's, that's life for people who don't have the water supplies we have. Every day, this woman had to come and draw water. Every day, she, came, she, she followed the same path. She was doing it on her own. It was hot. And then she had to carry this heavy water jar home. And uh, it wasn't long before they were thirsty again. And they had to go back. And and that's true of life generally, isn't it? That no experience lasts. No pleasure lasts. The satisfying of our needs don't last. We need it again and again and again. And he's really saying to this lady, I know the routine of your life. I know how hard your life is. And I understand. And he says, I'm talking about something that truly satisfies. It's a wonderful thing to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour. Because when you do, you're satisfied in him. Whether you've got a lot or a little. Whether life is easy or difficult. He satisfies our deepest needs and uh, we are fulfilled in him. There's what he calls a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so you sometimes see a Christian and they're going through a very difficult time, they're seriously ill or perhaps they're getting near to death and they're just being sustained by the Lord. And the sense inwardly they are being renewed day by day. And Jesus is saying to this lady, That's what I'm able to give you. That's what this living water is all about. It's something which satisfies. And the woman's response again is not encouraging. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. That is not a request for the water. That's her saying, I don't believe what you're saying. I don't believe there is such a thing as real satisfaction. I don't think it's possible to find meaning in this world. And that's something which many people today feel. Uh, Because of the kind of world we live in, because of the things that we are told again and again through the media, and because of the problems and difficulties of life that come. Oh, that there were living water, she says, but I don't believe it. I don't believe what you are saying. And it would be wonderful if I didn't have to keep coming here to draw water but I don't think that's possible. And uh, we've got to be ready to understand the the questions, the struggles, the cynicism, which is often in people's hearts. Materially, we may have a lot, but inwardly, we are not fulfilled and never can be. What shall it profit a man if he, he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And then Jesus takes control of the conversation. And he says to the woman, I, uh, go call your husband and come back. He may be saying that because in that culture it was appropriate, a man was talking to a woman that the, the husband was uh, present. But also he knows this woman's situation. He knows this woman's life. It's an extraordinary insight that he has into her situation. And uh, her reply uh, is to say, I have no husband. I don't know whether she looked him in the face and made that statement or whether she looked down in sadness when she made that statement. But it's important to understand what Jesus is doing here. We could understand him saying, well, you've been giving me a hard time up till now. So let's talk about you now. Let's talk about your life now. And let's put the searchlight on you and see whether you feel comfortable. But he's not doing that. Because he knows that the deepest sadness that this lady has had is in the area of marriage and of husbands. He knows that he is touching a sore point. You know when you have a pain, perhaps in the abdomen, and a doctor examines you and they touch various places. Does it hurt there? No. Does it hurt there? No. And then they touch the place where it hurts and you jump. The doctor doesn't then start pressing that place. So it really hurts, doesn't it? Yes, I'll keep on they're very gentle the Lord Jesus Christ is gentle with us in our points of deepest pain and deepest sadness and he knows that this woman doesn't have a husband at that time he says you're right the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband what you have just said is quite true Now it's possible to read those verses in a very censorious and judgmental way. You're right. You've been married five times and now you're living with a man to whom you're not married. In other words, he is declaring her to be an immoral woman. That's how often it is read. But in the culture of that time, it wasn't women who divorced men. It was men who divorced women. Or maybe one or more husband has died and she's been bereaved. We don't know. But it's almost certain that she had been divorced a number of times. She'd been married as probably quite a young woman. And uh, the man said that he loved her. She loved him and uh, they got married and the families rejoiced and uh, for a time they lived together. And and then one day the husband came back and said, uh, I don't love you anymore and I'm going to put you away. And if he said that, there was nothing that she could do. And uh, she was sent away she probably went back to her family because there was nowhere else to go. And she was desperately sad. It hurt her deeply. And uh, she wondered if he would ever be happy again. And then another man, he said he loved her. And she began to think perhaps he could, she could trust him. And they got married. And for a time everything was okay. And then he came back and he said one day, I don't love you anymore. And I'm going to divorce you. Suddenly she felt sick in the pit of her stomach. And it had happened again. She went back to her family and and the people began to talk about her. There she is. And they'd say things like this he's a good man, you know. There must be a reason for it, but the problem must be with her. And she had that loneliness, and she had that sense of failure and of pain and of rejection. And she'd had five husbands, so if it wasn't a question of it's all of them dying, it's possible she'd been divorced five times. Maybe that was why she came to this well, because she couldn't cope seeing the women, because there was the women who were at the well, and I'm saying there she is, there she is. She's been divorced five times, and uh, she just wanted to keep away, be on her own, and uh, now she's living with a man. Probably because she needs his care, she needs his provision, but he's saying, "Well, of course you've been divorced five times, I'm not going to marry you." And she has to accept that. And she's not a young woman. She's gone through all those experiences. She's getting into middle age. And uh, she's beginning to say, "Well, that's it now. I'll never be able to make up. I'll never be able to catch up for all the sadnesses I've had. And she's walking back and forth to the well and drawing the water and washing the clothes and doing the cooking and not really being loved by the man she lives with. And then when she comes to the well that day, there's a man there. And later she says, a man who told me everything I ever did. A man who knows me. You know, it's very easy, isn't it, for us to look out upon our world today and all the things that happen in people's lives and, and to be censorious and to be judgmental and not to enter into the sadness of it, the pain of it, the hurt of it. Just imagine one, one Sunday, a, a lady comes in, perhaps to the evening service, and you've not seen her before, and she sits by you and you nod and say, nice to see you. And after the service, you, uh, you start to talk to her and say, I haven't seen you here. And she says, no, this, it's the first time I've come. And uh, you, say, you begin to ask questions. You say, uh, do you live nearby? And she's a bit vague. She says, yes, sir, not far away. And then you often will ask, are you married? And if she said to you then, well, actually, I've been married and divorced five times. And now I'm living with a man who is not my husband. What do you say? Do you say, oh. Or do you say, I'm so glad you came. We've all had problems and difficulties here. And that's why we've come here. Because we find in God and in the Lord Jesus that he meets our every need. I hope you'll come again. Because it would have taken a tremendous step for that woman to come into a church because she would assume that none of us have got problems everyone who goes to church doesn't have problems like hers but just to enter into the sadness of our society the pain the broken lives the broken relationships a consequence of a society turning away from God and there are casualties this woman was a Samaritan because she happened to have been born in that northern kingdom And uh, in part, her life is the consequence of that. And Jesus knows, and Jesus cares. Isn't it a wonderful thing that he knows all about her, but he doesn't reject her. We don't know all about each other. Perhaps if we did, we would struggle sometimes in our relationship together. The fact we don't know each other helps in a sense, and God hides certain things. The wonderful thing is when we come to God in the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows all about us, everything about us. And he doesn't reject us. He cares for us. The woman changes the subject and she says, well, where's the right place to worship? On Mount Gerizim, we'll mount in, where the Samaritans had a temple, or in Jerusalem. And uh, again, Jesus is so encouraging. He says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship. He doesn't say... When the Father will be worshipped, he says you're going to worship the Father. And it's not where you're worshipping, but how you worship that matters. Salvation is from the Jew and a time is coming when, and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth he says to her, just as he said, I'll give you living water, he says, you're going to be a true worshipper. And then this woman says a, a lovely thing, an amazing thing. She says that I know that Messiah is coming, is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. This woman who was going back and forth to the well as she always did, her daily routine, maybe more than once some days, being totally caught up with her immediate life, has through talking with Jesus begun to think of the most glorious promise that she had been given. One day, someone is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. That was the hope that Jews and Samaritans held on to. That the saviour is coming. The messiah is coming. And then he will help us to find meaning in our seemingly meaningless life. And he will change things. And uh, then Jesus declares, and this is one of the amazing things, I who speak to you am he. He And that's a wow moment. This man sitting at her well was Messiah. He's not only come, she's spoken to him. And he's spoken to her. And he wants her to know who he is. He is the gift of God. And he is the one who gives living water, eternal life. He is the one who gives a gift which satisfies our deepest needs and our deepest longings. You think about this lady who comes into church and you say to her, why did you come? What made you come? She said, well, I've, I've been having a lot of problems lately. But you know, when I was a child, I used to go to Sunday school. And we used to hear lots of stories about Jesus. And I was thinking about those stories and, and about the wonderful things he did and the wonderful way he helped people. And I thought, I need to hear about Jesus. I need to hear about him and this woman is saying I know that Messiah's coming when he comes he will explain everything help us to understand it and Jesus said I am he just at that moment his disciples come back with lunch and they arrive and he's talking to a woman and they want to say to her what do you want or they want to say to him why are you talking with her And she leaves. And she leaves her water jar. And goes back to that. She senses perhaps in one sense she's not welcome with them. But something has happened. She's encountered Jesus. And and that's going to stay with her. You know in times of revival in Wales. When people were being convicted in services. They'd sometimes leave their hat or something behind. and, And people would say oh Johnny's left his hat. The Lord must be speaking to him. Well she left her water jar. The water jar didn't mean anything anymore. Just like Jesus wasn't interested in eating either. But the disciples want to have lunch. And when she's gone, they all say, Oh, well, that's good, she's gone. Rabbi, eat something. And he says, You know, I've got food to eat that you know nothing. You know nothing about. You just don't see it. You just don't see what the work's all about. You don't see why it came into this world. Open your eyes. Because by now the woman has gone back to the town. She started to tell people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And such is the transformation in this woman by meeting with Jesus and the things that she's saying that the people in the town begin to make their way out to meet this man who told her everything she ever did. But you see how tragically out of step the disciples are with Jesus. It's possible for us to be just as out of step as they were. And not to realize the heart that he has for this world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. And we need to have our eyes open to see the people around us. And to be able to share something of ourselves and something of our lives. And something of the saviour with them. Because the people come out. And uh, they believe in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. But then they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two whole days teaching these Samaritans, talking to them. And he has the words of eternal life. And they listened to what he says. And because of his words, many more became believers. And then they said to the woman... We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Would you give me a drink? Where does it end up? This man really is the saviour of the world. Jesus comes to all the bumps and and struggles of of the conversation. And you see, what the woman knows is that he knows all about her, and he still loves her. I think this woman probably thought she would never say, come see a man. She'd had enough of men, but now she'd met the real man. The one like no other, who knew her and loved her, and was the saviour not only of the Jews, but of the world. He loved Samaritans too. Yeah, and the Gentiles who were even further away. Do you know him as the saviour of the world? The saviour who will save you. You have but to ask him. And he will do it. And he will change and transform your life. Perhaps your life is as sad as this lady's is. Uh, and you think you, could, you thought you could never find hope. And never find meaning. And never find purpose. But he's Messiah. And he's come. And he'd explain everything to you. And he'll give you new life because it was for people like you and me that he came into this world. We've heard for ourselves and we know, not we think, we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.